Father God, we thank you for your word given to us. We thank you for how it opens our eyes to who you are and what you've done and your plans for us. Lord God, we thank you for your love on display through it and your righteousness on display through it. And Lord, right now we do lift up to you the Muslims of this world who are not trusting in Jesus. Lord, they need salvation. They need their sins washed away by the grace of the cross. So we lay them at your feet. Pray that there will be some eyes opened even this day. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. We're called to engage the world, aren't we? So far in the book of Acts, Jesus gave his disciples their prime directive, didn't he? We are to fill the gap, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel, that message to the end of the earth until Christ returns. The disciples aren't here with us anymore. It's us until the end of the earth, right? We have heard the gospel preached in the book of Acts and seen large groups of people, thousands, turn to the Lord, repenting from sin and being brought into the church. In the book of Acts, we've seen that God has placed his church. He's left us in the world. He's left us in this fallen world for a purpose, but the world doesn't always appreciate that purpose, does it? As apostles are brought before the Sanhedrin, questioned and threatened, as Stephen is stoned to death, we've seen all these, happen, all these things happen in this book. And, and we, there's really three players here. We, we've seen the acts of God who loves his church and the world. We've seen the church as it starts to grow and develop who is to ambassador truth and show Christ's love to the world. And we've seen the world who desperately needs salvation. And in our passage today, we, we're reminded of, of these three different peoples as we see how the world treats the church and spites God. And yet God does not remove us from the world, does he? as we see the love and the patience of God toward the world through his church. And we also are going to see a bit of God's own patience with his church as we're reminded to engage and not grow weary. Engage the world and not grow weary because, first of all, God will judge the world, ultimately. Secondly, he can overcome any obstacle that the world throws at us. And lastly, God is more concerned for you than you are for yourself. God is more concerned for us than we are for ourselves. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 comes right before Acts chapter 13. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Acts 12, 1 says... About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. 
This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day had come, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. The people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man! Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Amen. Reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. We are here as the body of Christ, to gospel. Let's keep it as clean and clear as possible. Our purpose here on earth is to gospel. We are not here to build buildings and establish programs, at least not primarily. These can be a good means to put the gospel on display, but they should not become ever the focus or the controlling factor of what we do. We are here to gospel. The church is not the buildings and programs, it's the people whom God has called to himself. You are the church. We, together. 
We've seen it here in the book of Acts, and, and I'm trying to drive it into our conscience as we go through it, that the thrust of the book of Acts is chapter 1, verse 8. What does chapter 1, verse 8 say? Have you memorized it yet? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The thrust of the book of Acts is God working through his people to reach the world. In the power of the Spirit, bringing hearts and minds to repentance. That's why we're here. But when, when the church decides to wow the world with, with programs or, or, or raffles, yes, I've seen it, big screen TVs, come to church and win one. Or, or we dumb down the truth, making it easier to swallow. We use Winter Wonderland songs to, to lead worship for Christmas Eve. Instead of things that focus on the truth of Jesus Christ. When the church gives the world what it wants, less Christ and, and more worldly satisfaction, the world doesn't care much what we do. They're perfectly content to have us here. But when we stick to our mission, when we stand for the name and the gospel message of Jesus Christ, his word, his way, not ours, not my own, the world will balk. The world will complain and the world will be offended. And in their offense, they will do all they can to silence us because we live in a fallen world that's not kid ourselves when we go out those doors. The world doesn't like you. The world shouldn't like you. John 15, verses 18 to 19. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus speaking, right? If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates the truth. The truth of God's word. Just this week, Assembly Bill 2943. Anybody heard of that one? In California, it was passed on from the Assembly to the Senate of California. This bill would make it illegal against the law to sell goods, including books, that promote God's view of his created purpose and desire for men, women, and sexual orientation. You could no longer trade goods that imply or teach that anyone with a certain sexual orientation could possibly be wrong. It would make it illegal to engage in activities and counsel that would encourage people to walk according to what God has said. Some of them are trying to say that, that this would not include the Bible or churches. Because the wording in the law itself does not expressly state the Bible or the church. But as one assemblyman said, and I quote, the faith community, along with everyone else, 
needs to evolve with the times. But oh no, this bill isn't going to touch the Bible of the church, is it? The world hates the truth. And the world will do all it can to put a stop to it. But we're not here to go along with the world, are we? But instead to represent the unchanging truth of Jesus Christ and God's word given to us to be his ambassadors and his witnesses that the world might be saved. And when we do so, we run into things like the first five verses of chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. Seized him, put him in prison, put a watch over him. Herod, the world, the community will seek its own the more we stand for Christ. They, they will seek their own pride, their own pleasure, their own glory, all at the expense of the church, the body of Christ. And the question I want to ask ourselves today is, is how are we doing with this? Is the world out there comfortable with us? Are, are we making it comfortable for them when it comes to the absolute clarity of the truth of God's word and the gospel message? That there is no salvation through anyone else except Jesus Christ and Christ alone. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said, right? It's not my opinion, it's his. Is the world glad that we are there because we don't really offend them with the gospel? Not that we should be jerks about it, right? Or, or shove it down people's throats. Uh, our offense should not be that we have offended people with our words but that the truth of God's word has somehow seared their conscience. That has touched their hearts. There's a distinct difference there between my word offending someone and God's words offending someone. Colossians chapter 4 reminds us to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Seasoned with salt. Make it tasty. Palatable, but forthright and true. Do we consistently speak the truth in love? Whether or not it's a popular opinion, and would the world prefer to get rid of us because of it? And, and when they do, are we willing to stand for God? No matter what the world might decide to throw at us, no matter what obstacles or trials or tribulations, for his glory and for their salvation. being as patient with them as God is patient 
with them. And, and God is very patient with the world, desiring that they would repent and come to know him. If we start back in John chapter 3, 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 1 Timothy 2.4 God our Savior desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's all those people out there right now. Maybe some in here. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness, his patience and his forbearance, is meant to lead you to repentance. We need to remember in here as, as we talk about these things that, that but for the grace of God, we too would be out there. We too would be denying Christ. But God gives the world time. And he gives the world opportunity to come to him through Jesus Christ. See, in his forbearance, in his patience, we see in this very passage, God did not judge Herod at his birth, did he? God knew everything Herod would do, but did he judge him when he was born? No, he waited. God did not judge Herod in his youthful sins, did he? God did not judge Herod when he murdered James or when he imprisoned Peter. God did not judge him when the guards were innocently executed as they stood as witnesses to Herod of something miraculous, something greater than them that had occurred right there in that place. God patiently waited and gave Herod time and again opportunity for salvation, to hear and to know the truth of the gospel through eyewitnesses and through events. But let us not mistake God's patience with the world for a laxness, a laxness or, or a nonchalance or, or, or an ignorance of everything that's going on. Psalm 121 verse 4 reminds us that God does not sleep or slumber. Psalm 139 and Hebrews 4.13 reminds us that God is absolutely everywhere and there is nothing hidden from him. having our eyes open to God's will and his purposes for the gospel and his church in this world, we then continue on. Verse 24 reminds us that the word of God increased and multiplied, didn't it? We continue on in spite of the trials that the world gives us because we know that God will judge sin and injustice, won't he? God does not abandon nor forsake his church. His patience, his patience extends to us as well at times. See, God will execute his judgment, and we see that in verses 20 through 23. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain. They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. These were said to be of woven of silver and bright and glittering in the daylight sun as he gave to them an oration, showing off. And then as they, they said, the voice of a God and not of a man, and he accepted this worship. And then he was struck down. 
God waited patiently through this whole man's life, giving him time and opportunity. But God judges him at the end. God judges him. No more opportunities to repent. It's finished. In that moment, it's done. Because it is appointed once to die. And then judgment. And that's where Herod stood. He died and he was judged. This is or should be extraordinarily profound to us. We look at somebody like Herod and we can often easily say, well, he deserved it. And yes, he did. But but are we driven to share the gospel message, that knowledge of the truth, that salvation that we have ourselves with the people in this world who so desperately need it? knowing that you might be their last opportunity. You could be the last person's face they see before they cross the street. We all know bus drivers don't know where the brake is, right? You could be that last seed of faith planted, that last chance, that tool in the hand of God. Let's not grow weary ever of hearing about Acts 1.8. That we will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and we are called to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. Let's not grow weary about hearing about our soil, that sphere of influence lives that we have, or, or how to share our faith or the importance of being able to express the gospel message to other people. Let's not grow weary of it because the the difference is eternity. Eternity for those who don't accept Jesus Christ. Eternity in hell. Or if we can be that tool, eternity in heaven. Paradise. Let us not grow weary because, first of all, we have a confidence that God will judge. We don't need to waste time and breath worrying about missed justice on this earth, do we? Be it that person who cut us off on the way to church, or on a more serious note, that person who abused us in some way, or seemingly got away with murder because they didn't get away with anything. Hebrews 4.13. We are all naked and exposed before him. God knows it all. As I say that we don't need to worry about these things, I'm not saying that we should not protect ourselves or each other. The the disciples lowered Paul through a a hole in the wall of the city, right, so that he could get away. They protected each other, lowering him down in a basket. But, but if we're going to waste time on this earth, let, let's waste it representing Jesus Christ in a fallen world. Let's not waste it worrying about missed justice because we know that that is in God's hand. And our prime directive is to share the truth of Jesus Christ anywhere and everywhere we go. 
We only need to worry about seed planting and watering. God will judge. Let us not grow weary, because we have confidence that God has not left us or forsaken us. Verses 6 through 17, the whole rescue of Peter. God can overcome absolutely anything, any obstacle that the world should decide to throw at us. Look at verse 4 with me. What, what did Herod do? When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering, over, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Four squads of soldiers. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. This this was the most high-tech security you could get at the time. Peter was chained between two guards. They were awake. He was asleep. There were guards outside the door and guards beyond that. Iron doors. Surely one of these guards would have been aware that there were four squads, which meant no squad had to watch the, the night guard for more than three hours. Surely they could stay awake for three hours. It's not like they had to do six or twelve. And there was at least four soldiers at each one. As he slept between two and, and some guarded the doors. They were as sharp as they could be. All the prison doors and all the soldiers and all the security in the world, anything that, that the world could put into place was no match for God. For we have received a spirit of power, not of timidity. And we have a God who can accomplish anything. None of this is of any consequence to God. As, as we read in verse 10, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. An iron gate, it opened for them of its own accord. Don't think Jesus was joking when he said, if these are silent, the very rocks will cry out. Because inanimate creation will declare the glory of God if we fail to do so. Let us not be found amiss, but give glory to God. But even this iron gate sees the will of God and just opens right up. In the case of James, as with all who trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, God has even overcome death and the grave, the greatest obstacles of mankind. What are the two things we will all face in life? Death and taxes. God has overcome death and taxes. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of the sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. God can do more than all we ask or imagine. One of my favorite benedictions at the end of service, Ephesians 3.20, oops, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine. According to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We have a God who can overcome anything. And we have a God to whom we can bring any and all of our concerns Let's not grow weary as we seek to engage the world because we can come to God with absolutely anything that weighs on our hearts. And there's two things about prayer we need to remember from this passage is that, first of all, he knows the requests better than we do. They prayed that Peter, we don't know exactly what they were praying But I'm sure it was something about Peter being released or remaining alive or that his witness would be sure. But God knew the jail inside and out and drew him out of there. And secondly, that God is more concerned about our prayers than we are. Do you see that in this passage? Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church earnest prayer. The church comes right away to God with earnest prayer. That heartfelt, that, it's that same heartfelt, earnest prayer that Jesus had when he was in the garden before he was taken to be crucified as, as he was shedding sweat that was more like blood, that was blood. As those drops of blood fell, He was praying so earnestly. These people meant business in their prayer, didn't they? They were intense about it. And yet, when their prayer is finished, what did they say? You gotta be kidding me, girl! Right? Rhoda goes to answer the door. Peter's there. She runs back. Hey, guys, Peter's at the door. And they say, you're out of your mind, to quote what's here. But she kept insisting, and they kept saying, it's his angel. Come on, girl, get us straight, right? They, They just spent all that time intensely praying. They knew what they needed. They knew what they wanted, and they laid it deeply before God. And at the next moment, you're out of your mind, right? How quickly we do that. We, we, we pray to God for something, and when we stand up, 
we've forgotten what we just prayed, right? We go right back on about our day. We can keep living for Christ in this fallen world. Keep living and, and speaking the gospel into our soil with an awesome confidence in God. Because, because we're pretty concerned about ourselves, aren't we? I know I am. pray for myself all the time. Pretty concerned about our loved ones, aren't we? Now think about your greatest concern weighing on your heart right now today. And know that God is even more concerned. Because when we stand up and go about our day, and, and, and when what we've just prayed has left our minds, the Spirit is busy interceding. We forget, but God does not. Romans. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now when we pray, do we always get our way? Do we always get the escape from jail? No. Oftentimes God carries us through the trial instead of removing us from it. We don't always get our way. James still died in this passage, didn't he? While we might not always get our way, we always get God's best. Because remember, God overcame death, right? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, death is no longer a factor for us. The grave no longer carries a sting. This world can do nothing. We may not always get our way, but we always get God's best because James is in paradise. James is in the hand of God, in the very presence of God. So let us engage the world as we go from here. Let's engage them with the gospel in words and actions and with a strength and confidence to endure whatever they might bring us. Knowing that God will judge any missed injustice because it hasn't been missed by him. Knowing that, that God can and has overcome any obstacle that the world can throw at us, even death. And, and knowing that God is more concerned with anything and everything that affects our lives than we ourselves are, as the Spirit continues to intercede for us. Let's allow God's Word to affect us, to change us, so that we can have an effect uh, on the world, on our community, on our soil. Let's have that gospel message, those, those Christ-centered words on our tongues anytime somebody opens a door. One of the greatest open doors we can walk through is when somebody starts telling us about their concerns. Let me pray for you. Let me tell you about a God who can take care of that for you. Let them talk to you, listen to them, hear them, carry them in prayer and open to them the truth of the gospel. Let's go out and find ways to Acts 1-8, to be witnesses.
having the patience and love of God towards them, that they might be won over by the truth of the gospel that you and I know. Let's go out and do something different. Let's not just let this be another Sunday where we've come to church and we've done our business, got the God thing done with, let's go home and have lunch, right? The God thing goes with you. He doesn't leave you. Let's carry him with us in everything we say and everything we do. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for strength. For Lord, you know it is not easy for us, be it the fear of man or the fear of ourselves or the fear of whatever. Lord, I pray that you would give us a greater fear of you yourself and who you are. Lord, that we would carry the truth of the gospel out into this world with us and we would not shy away, we would not turn back for you have given us not a spirit of timidity but a spirit of strength, a spirit of power. Help us to walk in that power knowing that you are God, knowing that you are more concerned for us, knowing that you will judge, knowing that you can overcome and have done so. We praise you for Jesus Christ and the cross. We praise you for the salvation that we have in the shed blood of your Son in our place. Lord, we praise you for the hope of resurrection, everlasting life with you as we recognize the resurrection of your own Son as he is the first fruits among many brethren. Father God, we praise your holy name this morning in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.